Hi, listeners. Welcome to It's the People, our interview series where we explore the inside story of building companies and investment portfolios with high-octane founders, limited partners, and fund managers. We hope these conversations push you to be even better at what you do. In this episode, my partner Wills Hapworth and I, Andy Greenfield, had the opportunity to interview Hugh Davis, who helped start and grow Greenfield Online, the world's first online market research company, and then went on to be the co-founder and co-CEO of Critical Mix, which is a leading provider of online survey and digital data, and which was acquired by Dynata in 2019. Hugh is also an Ironman triathlete and has demonstrated how this endurance has translated to an exceptionally successful business career. In today's conversation, we discussed a range of topics, including how the worst decisions might simply be the ones you hold on to for too long. Own it and move on. How wisdom is real and that when Hugh was 19, he didn't appreciate that other people had actually been there and done that and he didn't need to solve everything himself. How even when you're two founders in a garage, you should always act like the company you want to become. How being a successful endurance athlete is great training for being successful and building companies and leading them for years and much more. To start things off, Hugh begins the conversation with his life story in 60 seconds. Before we begin, we'd like to note that this interview is for informational purposes only and that the opinions expressed should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. TIA Ventures is a seed stage fund focusing primarily on early stage business-to-business technology companies with an obsessive focus on end customers and early teams. To get rolling, Hugh, can we have perhaps a 60-second version of the last 30 years, You're the Hugh Davis professional life? Well, 30 years and 60 seconds. Let's see if we can do that. Um, you know, it's uh, it actually all started when uh, when I met Andy, uh, my my sophomore year in college, uh, interning and working at uh, a company that he owned. Um, we together cooked up uh, an interesting idea, which turned into a 16 year journey. Um, we got to experience a little bit of everything from raising funds to growing the business to right sizing the business to ultimately taking the business public to then uh, taking it private, um, which was an amazing experience. And we could talk about that for days. Um, after that, um, with my, uh, my, my business partner at the time, Keith, we decided uh, we wanted to, to reinvent the industry again and built a second business. Um, and we ran that up until a couple of years ago when we sold that. And now uh, enjoying a little bit of time off, but uh, more important, taking advantage of this, uh, which I call my creative hiatus, um, to, to, to really drive you know, where things are going to be going next, uh, talking to companies. It's a lot easier to talk to companies when you're not selling something, um, to hear about what they're thinking and what their needs will be for the future and uh, getting ready for, uh, for chapter three. Great, thank you. You know, I one of the things I, I am curious about is when you sold Critical Mix, mm-hmm. you were in a position, you're still a young guy, relatively, you're in a position to hang up your spurs, yep. uh, sit back and just sail 
sail through the rest of your life. Uh, you know, you're financially secure. You're a guy who has multiple passions. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to talk about those soon, uh, non-related to business. But, you know, you didn't do that. You know, you stepped into an operating role at Dynata. Um, and now I hear you're cooking something else up. You know, why, why when you had the chance to say, you know what, I busted my tail for 30 years, succeeded, I'm done. Why are you still going? Well, I mean, that's probably the same reason you are. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a curious person. I like to be uh, around people. I like to, to solve problems and, and have some, you know, challenges in front of me. And I, I, I do enjoy it. Um, I will say it's nice to do it with, you know, a little bit of financial freedom. So you can, you know, have a little bit more of, uh, of, of picking and choosing and when and how and what. Um, but I, I, I just get really excited for, uh, you know, for business. Um, I, I enjoy the creation process. I enjoy um, surrounding myself with smart people. I enjoy meeting new people, um, you know, and it would get pretty lonely, you know, doing that uh, by yourself. You know, th there's another thing I've always been curious about. When you walked into my office many years ago, you were, I think we're 19, you were a sophomore at Fairfield U. Um, you were an intern at the company doing some pretty basic stuff. And you walk into- I think I was making sandwiches, let's just be real. <laughs> you, and you walk into the CEO's office. Mm -hmm. You know, th that took, I think, a lot of courage. And you walked in and you kind of laid an idea on the table this crazy thing that we know would go nowhere called the internet. Um, but what, like, what inspired you to do something like that when most, like 99% of people would go, I'm, yeah, the last thing I'm doing is walking in to my boss's 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 office to sit and say, here's something. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would really, you know, turn that, you know, back, back on you because you were the boss's 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 boss. And you know you created an environment where I don't really think you cared where good ideas came from. Um, and I had seen that, and I had witnessed that, and I I saw that it's how you treated uh, you know other people around you. And I, I've 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 heard you listen to good ideas and bad ideas, um, and that really gave me the uh, you know the the confidence. And you know also part of it might have being just a little bit naive. Um, you know, never really thought what the outcome could be or, or, or where it where it could go. I just believe that there was an interesting opportunity and a, and a slightly better way to do what we were doing. Um, and I was lucky enough to have a person that would uh, would listen and, and take it take it seriously. So, um, you know, I, I you know, looking back on history, it's fun to rewrite it and fill in the blanks with, you know, much more, um, you know, important words. And I was courageous and I built up the courage. Uh, no, I, it, it's, to me, it was more uh, an opportunity and an environment where that opportunity could be looked at. Hugh, I'm curious, were, were there examples that come to mind prior to you meeting Andy where you had done kind of something similar? Hey, here's here's a way of looking at this or thinking about it that maybe nobody is. And I'm going to stick my neck out on the line and see what people say. Not necessarily examples. Cause again, I was very fortunate to meet Andy at, uh, you know, at such a young age. Um, but I always kind of knew that I wanted to follow my own path. 
um, you know, I would always do well in school, but, you know, oftentimes we get distracted and be thinking about other things and wanting to go to another, the other areas. Um, I always knew that, you know, I'd love to be in charge and build something, um, you know, so, you know, there was, you know, it wasn't like, you know, this was like my fifth idea we, we, we tried out. Um, it really was a great collaboration of, I think, you know, there's probably, you know, a half dozen or so people that actually just happened to be together around each other at the same time with different levels of experience and different, different, you know, uh, paths that they've already gone down in life. So the 19 year old, you know, paired with a 30 something year old paired with a 40 something year old all brought uh, a, a passion and creativity behind something and that made it work. So, you know, it was really no one single person uh, or idea or, or revolution. It was it was a combination of some really really interesting people by fate coming together at the at a at a most random point in time. I mean, I remember Andy one time, uh, you know, hired uh, a gentleman you know that had been in business for a long time, and I believe Andy, correct me if I'm wrong. He applied for a male applied for a female uh, Spanish speaking moderator. And uh, Andy thought, well, that was an interesting tack to, to get a conversation into the company, you know, go over here and, uh, and, and work with this other gentleman. Um, so there was a really a neat group of people that, uh, that came together to make all this happen. And as I recall, <clears throat> our friend Paul was not a female and he didn't speak Spanish. So, so, so we only missed the two primary job requirements. But hey, he did hey, passion drive and, uh, and a little bit more experience to help uh, bring ideas to, to fruition. If I may, just on this point, we, Andy and I have been going through the exercise of thinking through kind of the purpose of our work, why we're passionate about it, and then this whole category of things that we're calling guiding precepts. And we literally wrote down, good ideas can come from anywhere. Mm -hmm. And you just said something along those lines, kind of that being the culture at uh, you know, at the organization when you met Andy, how do you, I'm assuming that's something that you carried forward in, in business and the companies that you built. It's one thing to say it. How do you actually, you know, actualize it, preach it, build it into your DNA or the DNA of the organization? Well, I mean, anything you build into the DNA of an organization, you know, comes by setting the example. Um, so, you know, when, when you say, you know, you know, good ideas are, can come from anyone and, and so many people have good ideas, but they fail to execute on the ideas or, or make it, uh, you know, make it happen. You know, so, you know, in the organizations that, that, you know, I built and bought and were part of, you know, over the years, we would always, you know, it didn't matter who you were, where you were. And, you know, and we would say, bring your ideas and give people the opportunity to execute them. And there were people, I mean, you know, one of the things that, that makes me most proud of the career is seeing the people around me succeed. Um, and they would come with an idea and we'd give them enough uh, resources uh, to either prove or disprove their idea, but more importantly, to, to see if they'll actually do the follow through to, uh, you know, to, to get it done. So when you create an environment where, you know, where people can be their best self and can come up with an idea, um, you know, and it probably was, you know, based on my experience, we we would we'd love it. We would we would say, you know, and there's I could list off, you know, dozens of examples, you know, over the years where some of the best decisions that we made did not come from 
you know, the, the people who you would think would be making them. It came from the people that were around doing it. So yeah, it just, be, it just becomes part of your culture and you give people the opportunity to, to take the idea. And, you know, not everyone wants to run with it. Say, I have a great idea, then someone else can take it. Or I have a great idea and I need to, I'm curious about it. I'm passionate about it. I need to do a little bit more work on it. You know, we'd always give them the opportunity to do that. You know, speaking about ideas, I just want to stay on this because Hugh, you've been, I think, immensely creative when it comes to mixing human ingredients together. <clears throat> and I think of your, I'm not sure what we would call them, sort of uh, brain rubs uh, mm -hmm. down in Florida that you ran for a number of years when you were running Critical Mix. Yeah. Um, and you would gather together people from all sorts of walks of life. It wasn't the classic, let's get our clients and potential clients together and we really wanna get some business. You would bring down people who had no business to give you, mm -hmm. but just had either big brains, different brains, different experiences. Your guest speakers ran the gamut from Navy SEALs to astronauts to the foremost sleep expert on the planet. And you would gather together this combination of sort of neurons firing into space and put them all together and kind of see what happens. Can you talk a little bit about the thinking that produced those immensely stimulating summits year after year? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I half joke and say, you know, we, we created the party that I wouldn't get invited to unless I created the party. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, we, I, I just remember early on, people would say, well, that's a waste of money. You should just bring your top 50 clients and, you know, put them up in a nice hotel for a few days and have big dinners and, you know, they'll buy more, more from you. Um, now we always love our customers and we love our clients, but that's, uh, you know, that doesn't grow a business that doesn't, uh, you know, uh, expand where you work. So we, you know, we always would try to bring very, very different people with very, very different uh, experiences from adjacent or completely different, uh, you know, industries. You know, we talk about automation in our business. Well, you know, the architecture industry is dealing with automation and designing buildings without humans. You know, how are they solving it to be able to apply it to, to what we do? So it was great fun. I mean, we, we had some, uh, you know, year after year, we always had, you know, and we always limited to 50 people because more than that, you know, it's, it's a conference where people could disappear and, and not be engaged. Um, and we always learned something. I know, Andy, you, you attended uh, many, many years. And, you know, I, I think back to, you know, some of the people we met, some of the connections that we made and some of the, uh, uh, um, the uh, you know, the different speakers that, that really got you thinking in, uh, in different ways. So, you know, when you talk about great ideas, um, you know, I think it comes from bringing, you know, a really dispersed group of people together, learning from each other, sharing what you're doing in your industry, and everyone leaves the room, uh, you know, better than when they came in. And we are doing it again this year. Oh, so uh, we are we are re uh, re uh, firing that up. So there's a couple of dates in January, Andy, that I'll have to make sure you keep open. Oh, geez, I hope I make the list. You will always make the list. <laughs> Hugh, I've heard a lot about these summits. Um, just two, two more questions on it. Do you remember where the idea came from for the summit? And 
how did you refine them over time to get more value out of them? Like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, the, the idea, you know, like, like many ideas, there's not a, someone didn't wake up in the morning and say, aha, we must, uh, you know, do it, uh, you know, do it this way. Um, we always had a, we you know, continue to have a great group of really, really bright people, you know, trying to think through. And we started with what would, what, what, what's our outcome? Like we would say, well, we're trying to create awareness for our business and we're trying to, to diversify the people who know about us. And, um, you know, we, we then saw a void. We all hated going to conferences, um, you know, because it literally is, you know, just everyone selling to everybody and, you know, the speakers and the, the, the talk tracks sometimes just don't, you know, uh, you know, muster up. So we said, well, we don't want to, we want to create something where it's completely different. And it just sort of evolved, you know, year one, um, you know, we, we, we did it and it went well. And then we took what didn't go so well and what went really well. And we just kept evolving it, you know, year after year. And, you know, and we, we, we are continuing to evolve it, you know, to, 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 to make it, uh, make it worthwhile. But no, it was, uh, it was, you know, sort of a, an aha moment that said, if we can bring, you know, leaders of different industries together, you now have a network of people that's a little bit outside of the comfort group that you talk to, you know, every, every day. I remember we brought a, you know, a, a president of a university down to, to speak and be one of the participants, one of the 50 in the room. And so I said, well, why, why have a university president there? Well, what can he bring to the table? And we're like, well, he's training and educating and, you know, thinking. And some of us in the room are, are parents writing big checks to send the kids to college. They're, they're going through a transformation through online and all the things that we're dealing with you know, he might have a different perspective than, than what we have. Um, so again, it was all about just bringing really interesting people, uh, people together. You know, just to put this, the boldness of what you did in context, in my judgment, it was the kind of thing, you might see it at a very big company that had a lot of resource and wanted to do some experimenting, but you started this when Critical Mix was relatively young and small. Yeah. Well, again, we wanted to we wanted to be the company that we wanted, you know, that we envisioned our, ourselves becoming. And ultimately, I mean, as you guys know, you kind of have to walk the walk, act to act, right? If we acted like a small company that had all the excuses in the world that, that couldn't do anything, um, you know, the the experience that we gave people. Um, does not merit the budget of what we spent to do it, right? Because you can throw a lot of money at something and 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 come out with a, a bad product. You know, you 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 can spend money very judiciously and uh, and and put on an amazing uh, an amazing experience for people. But yeah, we we did, we had a lot of fun putting that together. So, so you said were... something just on this. It sounded like some of it came from just hating to go to the traditional conference. I start to wonder, we talk about this a lot internally, do good ideas have to come from pain or can they also, like, is there another world where they can just kind of miraculously appear? I, I think the other world is the one you want to encourage. Um, you know, my, you know, again, I'm, I don't want to disparage the conferences because we go to them and we attend them and we love them, um, but there's a different purpose um, and you know what the purpose is for, for what you're doing. Um, and it's a great way to stay connected and build your network and, and, and be present and visible, but you're not going to walk away 
you know, as leaders in business inspired to turn left or, or, or take a chance on a different path or meet a, a new person that you could call on for advice and support in a, in a different way. So I, I love the, the, the I mean, I, I, I love the non-traditional environments for, for inspiration. So, so Hugh, one of the themes we're gonna to touch on here and one of the things I find fascinating about you as a person is <clears throat> interesting juxtapositions of things that you might not think would kind of go together. So I look at the chapter one of Hugh Davis and chapter two. Chapter one, Greenfield Online, total pioneer, world's first, you know, we were, we were voyaging where no man or woman had gone before. It's like building a car and car had never been built and you didn't know what the ingredients were. New to the world. Mm -hmm. Chapter two, critical mix, Hugh Davis and Keith Price go and start a business in a category you used to describe as highly commoditized, lots of competitors. It wasn't like you came in and you said, ah, you know, finally we we're using voice activated something or we have the formula for invisibility or there's this thing called the internet mm -hmm. or we're digitizing a pre-digital industry. So you have these totally new to the world and almost a commoditized, highly competitive category. Can you talk a little bit about how you ended up winning big in, in a business that was so different? Yeah. So, I mean, I would, I would say, you know, I mean, it, I would personally would never want to be in a business that wasn't being done by other people. Um, you know, I love businesses and, you know, that was a neat thing about what we did with, uh, you know, when we were building Greenfield Online was that people were already spending money on market research and data and information. They were just doing it a different way. So we never had to go in and convince people, hey, create a brand new budget in your budget and spend money where you never spent it before. We were able to go in and say, hey, you're already spending money on this. Here's a new, better way of doing it. And we would just have to, to prove out that we were a better, more economical, more economical way. And that's not to say companies that invent things that are brand new can't be successful. It's just... Uh, um, it's just a very different journey to do it. When we were doing Critical Mix, I remember, you know, we had um, we had taken the company private. Microsoft had then come and bought it and took it uh, uh, public. Microsoft had then come and taken the company private. And I remember sitting there with Keith, my partner, saying, oh, we're done. We've done it all in, in research and data and all this. We're, we're, we're going to go do something completely different. And then when we stepped back, we said, this journey isn't over yet, you know, the, and, it, and it's not over today. Um, you know, the, the, the demands and the way that people are using information and, and, uh, and research and data to, to drive business decisions. You know, what, what happens in three years when the decisions that people are driving aren't going to humans, but going to AI algorithms? You know, when it's not going, you know, the data isn't going to a PowerPoint presentation, but it's going and being fed directly into ad serving technology. So the journey is, 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 is never, never ending. So when we were building Critical Mix, we said, wow, this is a great opportunity. We get an, a blank piece of paper. So we're not working with old technology. And we did that. And we spent a, a year you know, laying out. And we had the privilege of doing what we had done for the previous 16 without the encumbrance of all the mistakes we made um, you know, during that time. We could actually start with where we think the next uh, chapter is uh, is going. 
And I don't think any business has ever done, right? Yes, we started with the internet when it was brand new and, you know, people didn't know what it was, but the people before us started with the technology and, hey, there's a fax machine now. We don't have to FedEx across the country. The generation before said, hey, we have a telephone now. We don't have to write a letter. Um, you know, if you think about where all this stuff is going, I would say no matter what business you're in, if you think you've reached the end, you you have, you should stop, you should go home. Um, but if you think that there's always more to do, you're the right person to be uh, to, to, to be leading be leading that company. Because, you know, you guys know what happens when you take your foot off the gas, it stops. Like, I'm fascinated today with all the, you know, how are businesses going to interact with their customers in the metaverse, right? You know, that's like, people look at me like I got three heads when I talk about that. But hopefully someone might listen to this uh, podcast in 10 years and will realize that, you know, that method of communication and interaction and consuming information Will become much more mainstream and will be a, will be as regular as going to a website to book a hotel room. Um, so you know that kind of curiosity, I, I think, drives it. So I don't ever think of a business as being mainstream and in the competitor. And you know, even utilities or, or the most basic companies need you know have probably a list of. 25 things that they can be doing to continue to evolve and, and do. And if they don't, they should, um, because I can't think of a single business that says, hey, we've done it. We've, we, you know, what are we on our 13th, 14th generation of iPhone? I mean, they could have stopped. I, I thought that was the perfect product. And every time it comes out, I'm like, oh, well, geez, I need to go buy the, the next new one. You know, apply that to anything. Um, and I think you, you'll see that, uh, that you have to make it better. I was going to say, Hugh, in there was a um, you know comment about like starting with a blank piece of paper on this new business, not having the encumbrances of the mistakes that you had made. Uh, were there going into the new business? Were there obvious mistakes that you didn't want to repeat, and were there things that you did want to you know like patterns that you did want to repeat that come to mind? Like the most you know the the ones that stand out to you. Yeah, I mean you know. And, you know, mistakes are, you know, might be, might be the wrong word. Now, clearly the list of mistakes we've, we've made in business uh, is endless, but more really the wisdom of knowing where a path goes because you've already been down it. And we're not saying you shouldn't take a peek down that path again, but if you know, you go down the path and it's a brick wall, um, you know, well, let's save us the six months and not walk down it again. But we'll take a little peek to see if that wall has come down. But we're we're gonna go it uh, go go down a, a different way. Um, no, I, I I'm you know I think you know what we took was the you know the parts that we knew worked um, you know and and the and the pieces that we we felt you know could drive the the type of business that that we wanted to operate. You know, um, you know, and I'm sure Andy has shared this with you. You know, when we when we started Critical Mix, it was my my business partner and I, and we sat across the room and we looked at each other and said, well, what's the first thing, you know, we need to do? Well, we said, we need to act like a, you know, a, a big company. So we're going to do, you know, quarterly board meetings to, 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 to keep ourselves, you know, honest and make us. And so, so we did the first one with each other and we're so this is boring. We now need to, you know, let's get the, the smartest people we know around us and build an advisory board 
to to come in and we'll now do our board meeting in front of them so they can you know push uh you know push back and ask questions and and, and drive you know we constantly just said you know those were the best parts about what we did was acting like the 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 company that we wanted to be i remember somebody and again you know you talk about good advice and bad advice you know we, you know, we were we were year one into business and we said, well, we should get our, our finances audited, why we don't have a lot of finances, because it will be easy to do and, and, and cheap. But we just sort of made that, you know, a, a yearly thing. Um, and it turned out to be brilliant because when someone comes to buy you and you're that organized, neat company that, you know, spent the 1200 bucks a year when, you know, when revenues are light to, to have your, your, your books like that, it made raising money easier. It made uh, all, all the kids. And again, most people don't think of that as a, a, a good use of funds early on. We, with our experience said, wow, when we'd go in to buy a company, we bought lots of little companies to add in and you go in and the, the CEO or the founder, you know, it's a draw full of receipts and, you know, you can't make heads or tails. And we really made money last month, but we didn't because we, you know, we bought pizza, you know, they have a, it, it doesn't look like a, a real business. And we, you know, our $50,000 looked like it could be 60 million, the, the, the way that it was organized. Um, so yeah, that's how we kind of took the, uh, you know, the approach of taking these ideas and taking the lessons of the past and, and, and applying them. You know, we had been a publicly traded company. So we had all the Sarbanes-Oxley rules that we had to follow. Now, we didn't go as far as that, but we said, wow, there's some really good lessons to, 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 to be taken from this, from, you know, uh, from process. So we put process and procedure in place early on which was easier than try to apply it later on um, when, you know, we were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of employees at the end, you know, it's easier to have a, a, an expense policy when there's only two um, than changing 600 people to, to follow it. So we always tried to act like the company we wanted to become. And, you know, when we finally did, and, and Keith and I were actually talking about this this morning on the phone with someone, when, when we sold our business from start to finish was just over five weeks because their team was able to go in and look at everything back to day one in a, uh, a clear and the, and, the, and the stories, the ups, the downs, the bumps all had the data supporting around it. So, I, I love that. I mean, we, you know, at the risk of revealing, Andy, I'm sure you're thinking similarly, like some of the cheat codes that we've found to be most effective with our companies, particularly kind of post-investment, you know, having good financial hygiene, even if you're a company of three with five customers, uh, is just so compelling, you know, for investors, for the team, for prospective talent, for the, you know, your potential acquirer. Uh, it's a cheat code for sure. That we 100%. Identified. It is. And, and it actually pays off in spades um, with the, 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 you know, when you come in, because you, you make a lot of promises when you, when you talk to people that are, are funding you. And if you can't back up those promises with, with past behavior, um, I know when I would go into a company that was organized and diligent and, 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 and in control, they'd always get a higher valuation than the one that was like, well, I think this is right, but we don't know. And we're, we have gaps here. Um, you know, that's just such a, that is an absolute, um, you know, way to, to, to sift through what's going on. Yeah, those smoking bags of cash in the corner that they say we haven't yet counted those. <clears throat> Hugh, Hugh you, you mentioned Keith, your partner. Yeah. And, you know, 
we always say when we're talking to folks, um, mentoring entrepreneurs and stuff, like who's running the show? Who's in charge? Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, I've been guilty of saying multiple times, two-headed creatures in nature don't survive. However, you have been a two-headed creature, you and Keith, incredibly successfully for a very long time. Can you talk about what it's like running a business with effectively two leaders? Yeah, no, ab absolutely. And I remember when we were building the business, people would advise us to say, you know, hey, flip a coin, it doesn't matter. Um, and in our case, you know, it, it truly doesn't matter. Now, I would say you've got to pick a good partner. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Keith and I had the privilege to, to, to come together on, on our journeys um, over the years. Um, but we always, you know, we, we always found that we complemented each other very well. What he likes to do isn't my strong suit. So, you know, Keith is, loves to be with a customer, you know. If he got a call and the client was in New York City, he'd be the first one that would want to jump on the plane to go train to go take him out to dinner and uh, hear about everything that's going on. I want to go to bed. Um, and I'd love getting the phone call from Keith that says, uh, I may have just promised that we would help them solve this problem. And I'd be up at five o'clock the next morning trying to work out a, a, work out a way to, to, to solve it. Um, we also shared the same philosophies of, uh, of, of, of running a, a business. You know, yes, the outcome and the, and the financial reward is definitely a measure of, of success and one that was very important to us. But even more important, we wanted a group of people in a place that we could go to every day that we were proud of, that we looked forward to seeing, that we, we wanted the, the team to be you know, to, to be inspired and, and happy and, and run. So we, we, you share the same principles, you know, who's there making the decision. And uh, I'd imagine there might be a few entrepreneurs that might listen to this. I will tell you, having two at the top, you know, definitely frees up a little bit more of your time. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, when we were in our, our rapid growth phase, you know, we, you know, one of the things we wanted to do is be always available to our, our customers. And to have a business partner where you say, hey, Keith, I'm going to be off this weekend, like phone off. Um, and he's like, his first thing is, I got you covered. And we knew that we could, uh, you know, work on a little bit of a, a balance between us and be there for our customers all the time, um, but not have to be there as one person all, all the time. So I'm not saying the, the co-CEO role is for everyone. Um, but I am saying that, you know, it, it can be effective. Um, and if you find a partner, um, and there's been lots of case studies because we, we would go look and, and see if you can find a partner who compliments you, um, you'll actually, I believe, will be more successful. Um, if your partner, all they care about is selling the business and all you care about is growing the business or if they want to hire the cheapest labor possible and not invest in the employees and you want to build an organization where, where, where people are empowered, it won't work. But if you're on the same page, it, uh, it, it will work. So I, I, I am a big advocate of, uh, you know, having a, uh, having a partner to, to, to help work through, uh, especially a growing business. Another interesting juxtaposition here. <clears throat> You're in, this is sort of a two-part question. We'll get to the second later. You've built a very successful career leading increasingly large teams. Mm -hmm. 
on your off days, you spend your time doing Ironman triathlons, which is a solo sport, no team stuff. Flying, again, a solo sport. I don't know if Amy handles the co-pilot role, but solo sport. Um, powered, is it a powered surfboard you're using now? Something like that. Something like that. Again, a solo activity. Um, golf, you do play with somebody, but it's not teams. No. So can you talk a little bit about this juxtaposition of Hugh, I'll call it the athlete, you know, after work set of passions, which seem to be kind of solo versus Hugh leading men, women, and machines into battle as, sure. you know, leading teams. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, my, my passion is the endurance side of these things. I like, you know, doing things that um, the the outcome of what you are going to do requires a lot of time to get there, because the uh, the the journey to get there and and I actually mirrors very much. Um, you know, after I, I I did my first marathon, I I just couldn't get out of my head the the connection to building a business. Right, you just don't go out and run twenty six miles. You run one. You need a support system around you to help you with your first long run. And, you know, maybe six, eight months goes by and then you have the goal. You know, when you're building a product and all you wanted out is out there today, you can have your eye on the prize, but you can respect the, the journey to, uh, you know, to, to get there. Um, yes, I do. I guess you could say the things I like to do are are individual, but I take those individual and, and try to do them with with a, with a group. So I like to do activities that, you know, most people will say, well, that's impossible or that's hard or I don't know how you do it um, because I find it, uh, you know, very comforting. Um, and it was quite frankly, you spend your whole, you know, I always talk about having my three balls in my life. You know, I have my work, my family, and my, my, my passion for the endurance sports. And I would always say I could have two of them perfect at any point in time. I could never get you know, all three. So if work is really busy. One of the other two has to, 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 to move down. Um, but what I did find with these types of uh, sports, you can do you know the, the time that you do them is, is not the time that's required by other people. So getting up early to go for a run or you know people say, well, I'm on the road, I have business dinners, I don't have time. I'm like, you don't have time for 45 minutes between end of A and start of B to, to go hit the treadmill in the gym or go run around the block in a, in a new city to you. Um, I always found that very, that that time was my time where I could control it, um, where much of your time running a business is about other people. Um, so I think they, they complement each other nicely. And just on this, because I spent a little time kind of looking, you know, through your background on your LinkedIn, you see, you know, 16 year stints, you know, at, at places. Um, and that notion of like this, these endurance sports, I think, you know, prepare you for what it takes to build companies. Do you, were you in, into these endurance type activities prior to getting into business or did you find them after or how did that all play out? Um, I guess you could say I sort of found it in the early, in the first couple of innings. Um, you know, when, when, you know, I mean, you know, back in the day with Andy, we were coming into work at seven in the morning, working till, you know, God knows what time. And, 
you know, I never look at how much time you put in as the, as the measure, but, you know, to, to the folks that will listen that are building a business, they know what I'm talking about. There really is no, 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 no downtime. But I, you know, I probably got in, I got into the, the sports because it gave me the outlet and the release that I needed um, and the ability to, 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 to de-stress and to, and to get back outside and, and, and to be with nature. So I, I started, uh, gosh, 20 years ago um, with my first marathon and, and kind of stuck, you know, stuck with it consistently, uh, you know, all the way through. Um, but, you know, if you, if you, you know I, I remember thinking, you know, you can go down a lot of different paths in life and, you know, getting yelled at for, for going on a three hour bike ride on a Saturday morning is one that I'll take, um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take that as a, as a, as a criticism, but no, I just think the, uh, you know, I, there's so many from starting a business to, to that metaphors. I mean, they've been well-documented and well, well-talked about, and I'd say they're true. Like, you know, if you set a long-term goal of where you want to be and you accept where you are today and you build a path to get you from A to B, um, if you don't have a path, you'll never get there. Um, but if you have a, a, a well thought out path, you know, some days it'll turn, you know, and it won't go quite linear, but, uh, you know, you, you'll stick at it and you'll end up whatever your goal is. So if your goal is to raise the next round of funding or to hit a revenue milestone or to, you know, to get the attention of another company, it, it'll all, you know, they're all very similar. Critical mix was something you guys built totally, yeah. the two of you, you and Keith. Can you talk a little bit about that process? You know, I was there when I was born. Mm -hmm. I watched you guys execute literally quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter. But again, you were on the inside. Can you talk a little bit about some of the bumps or things that you know, where you're driving forward and you go, wait a minute, this is an unfinished bridge we're about to drive off of, you know, because from the outside, and you know this, we've talked about this, and everyone only hears about the successes. Yeah. They hear about like all the glamour, all the, the, you know, all the wins. What happened at Critical Mix along the way where you go, oh my God, what was I thinking? What were we thinking? Yeah. So I mean, for our listeners... Do you mind just in a sentence explaining what Critical Mix was, what you built, just so that they have context? You know, Critical Mix uh, is in the in the data and insights industry, and we built tools and technology um, that allows businesses to make data-driven business decisions. Um, and our differentiator, because everyone needs a little bit of a differentiator, was that we really tried to simplify the process. Um, for both the uh, the user of the information and, and who was uh, receiving it, so we had built a, um, you know a, a very healthy business just uh, and, uh, and and you know got up to a few hundred employees and then then sold it. So it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun. But you know, to Andy's question, you know, when it was two people, um, you know, we you know we would you know we would definitely make mistakes. Things would definitely take longer. Um, you know, a, a, a software release was supposed to be done, you know, on this day and it's, you know, 30 days behind, but you've already promised that things would be done, you know, with it, uh, you know, during, you know, that time. Um, it was no, uh, you know, no, no, no one did anything wrong. It's just running a business. You get, uh, you know, surprises along the way. So, you know, what, what Keith and I did, 
you know, was we we broke everything down into much smaller than most people do achievable milestones. So he and I and a partner, we'd always we we called it the three things a day. We said, you know, let's do three things today, and you do three things today, and we've now moved it forward. And if we do that five days in a row, we'll we'll be this far forward, and this is where we should be. So we never, you know, we never set a goal like, oh, by you know, uh, by February of 2023, we're gonna have this great grand thing and everything coming to that point to find out if we were going to be successful or not. Because you know, you guys work with a lot of entrepreneurs. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. The art of thinking about what you're going to do is much more enjoyable than actually doing it. Um, and if you never go from idea and inspiration to execution, like make that first sales call and be told no. You know, don't wait six months to make that first sales call until everything is perfect because you'll find out that you you you've missed a you know you've missed an opportunity. So we tried to really, you know, to stay in the moment of where we were, be the best we could be in that moment, and then collect lots of moments. And you know, back to the three things a day. If you've got two people doing three things a day to build a business seven days a week after a month or so, you've got a lot of stuff done. Um, and, and that was sort of always our approach to it. I love that two people doing three things a day. We used to sometimes tell entrepreneurs that success is just a function of 898 individual steps forward. But you can't think of all those steps at one point or become overwhelming. Like you'll be debilitated, you just can't get it done. But you know, if, if, if you see progress and momentum, um, by just, I mean, you know, you could go to an entrepreneur and, you know, or a CEO and say, you know, what, what did you do yesterday? And they'll be like, I'm very busy. I was very busy. Well, what did you do? I was busy. I, I, I came in early. I stayed late. Well, what did you do? And you just keep putting, well, we had meetings. Great. Well, what did you do? Like, you know, oh, I, you know, I, you know, I would like to say I did A, B, and C to move the business forward. And I was very busy and, 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 and did, did meetings. We're all very busy. But if you don't quantify that into the, to an outcome, it, uh, it it just won't work. Hugh, it, was there a mechanism for holding yourselves and each other accountable to this? Because I think sometimes I get to a Friday, I'm like, did I move the ball further downfield? And then if I go back through my task list, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I did chip away at a bunch of stuff. Might not be obvious on a week to week basis, but yeah. you know, it's only when I go back and look at it did you have some mechanism for, and sometimes I forget to look at it. Did you yeah, have a I mechanism mean, for truly holding yourselves and each other accountable? Yes. I mean, that, that was, you know, all part of the partnership and the, um, the business working. So we did have, um, you know, we did track. And again, not every task needs to be a big one. Um, you know, it, it could be as simple as, you know, what did you do today? I wrote a thank you letter to a customer. That's good. That's one thing. Like, you know, the, you know, one day it might be I, I, you know, met with the attorney and redid all the contracts for for how we work. Big thing. Um, but you know, we did and we inspired, we pushed that down. You know, big part of what we did with and you know, and Andy was a great ins inspiration on this. Um, you know, we always hired really bright people, really smart people, really motivated people. Um we, we built a, uh, you know, we wrote a, uh, you know, an employee handbook because the law says you have to have an employee handbook, but we operated under the adults work here principle. Um, you know, we don't need to tell you what time to come in. We didn't need to, and this was all pre COVID before, you know, work from home was, uh, 
you know, a, a much more common experience, but we would, you know, we would inspire the employees to say, look, if going to your son or daughter soccer game is an important thing. And that happens to be at three o'clock in the afternoon, build your day around that, but still take the calls, get the work done and, and, and drive it that way. And, you know, with, with treating people that way, that inspired them to, to pick up the habit of saying, yes, I did go to my child's soccer game for, for two hours this afternoon, but I also did all the other things I was supposed to do. Hugh, let's dig in on this for a minute, because I, and I appreciate the kind words, but everyone's going to try and say, hey, you know, we hire smart, motivated people, but you built a cadre of folks who they were, they seemed passionate every time I went in there. They worked hard. They worked long. You had very low attrition. You, you, you built a team that was just, you know, produced more horsepower than an engine with that number of cylinders should produce. Can you talk a little bit about how you built, how you made that happen? Because I think the culture was part of it because the critical mix culture was very different mm-hmm. than most other companies I've been, uh, been engaged with. The, the, I would call it the Hugh Davis, Keith Price set of values. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a number of things together and I, I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit about how you used those things and thought about those things to just uh, not just attract, but retain and motivate great people. So, I mean, I guess it all started, you know, with, you know, what are, what were our guiding principles? What's our vision? What's our mission? Why are we in business? Um, and, you know, Keith and I, we always kept that very simple and we've repeated all the time. You know, you, you see some of these businesses out there and they have 75 principles and they're going to be this to everybody. Um, and, and, you know, and it usually all started with the customer, you know, the customer is going to be the, the king and everything's, you know, we, we actually kind of started it with the other way. We work in an industry that's, that's technology driven service. So we had, you know, our customers were challenging. They were hard. Um, it wasn't, uh, they, they weren't always easy to work with. Um, so we, you know, the, the principle that I'll speak of on this was, you know, when it was written, you know, right up in the wall, we empower our employees and by empowering them, you know, we would give them the right tools to do the job. So, you know, appreciative people were when they showed up on day one and didn't have a $400 laptop, but had a, you know, a nice shiny MacBook pro seems like a little bit of an extravagant expense starting, but it sent a message that you just left a firm where it took you three minutes to turn your computer on. Now you've got tool. Um, we'd also empower them with the little things like, you know, a, a customer is spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars with you, yet you make a decision for a couple hundred dollars and someone will tell you that was the wrong one. Or like we told our, our, our teams, you can spend up to 100% of the job cost that you're getting paid to make the, uh, the, the customer happy. So profit will come, but don't worry about it on any individual. That had them acting like owners. And no one ever, ever took advantage of it. So if you hire the really smart people, then you've got to empower them, give them the tools that they need to be successful and give them the safe parameters that they, they can operate in. You know, um, you know, one of the things you know, that I learned over the years that I would tell my younger self would be, you're not the only one that knows the answers. If you hire good people, you don't need to create all kinds of crazy rules and regulations and process. Get the right people in. 
then empower them to do their job, give them the tools that they need to be successful and take down all the barriers that, that would, would block them from doing the right thing. Because people generally do want to do the right thing. But I think sometimes, in the, in, in, you know, because it's your job to make someone else's job harder, um, you know, people would, people would do that. And, you know, Keith and I were committed to say, look, if these people are the smart as we think we, they are, and we're paying them as much as we're paying them, we need to sometimes step away. And that was hard sometimes. Like I remember we all sat in a very open environment back in, in those days. And I'd sit there and I'd be biting my tongue because I, Hugh Davis, would have done that a little bit different. But what they're doing isn't wrong. Um, but I don't want to unempower them for, for, for the decisions and actions they're taking. And we did that for so long that you know, word got out that this was a great place to work. So then the, the, we had our pick of people that we have and, you know, people wouldn't leave. As you guys know, attrition is a huge challenge, especially when you have customers and reteaching them things. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it, it was a, you know, really deliberate uh, program that we put in place. And as the CEOs, it's hard because, you know, you want to be in charge, you want to make every decision, you want to, you know, don't get me wrong. We had guidelines and we had rails that people had to stay within, but they were broad enough that they felt like they were empowered to do what they need to do for their customer on their day without always having to, uh, you know, look for somebody else. That, that, I was just thinking the advice about somebody else may do it a little bit differently than you doesn't mean they're wrong. You don't have to, you, you have to bite your tongue. That could apply in personal relationships as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> very, very hard to go. Hugh, um, I've, I've heard many things from Andy about all the, the great achievements, the companies you've built. We watch some of our companies go through dark hours, yeah. right? And they emerge from them. I'm, I'm curious, were there any dark hours that maybe you couldn't talk about then, but now you're a bit freer to discuss that, you know, our audience would be interested in hearing about? Oh, there are always are dark hours. I mean, there are, um, again, this is the nice thing about history is when you look back 10 years ago, you can erase all the stuff that doesn't fit the narrative um, and, 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 and put it in. Oh my God, there were, you know, from even from the days of true startup, you know, working with Andy in the, in the first 90 days, we used to carry the business around in a box. And one day there wasn't a room to sit in to put the box in. So I thought that, you know, Andy didn't want to do this anymore. Um, you know, from, you know, but, you know, there were, you know, we, you know, we, we've gone through all the business cycles, you know, so we were part of the, you know, the big dot-com boom tied into the dot-com bust, you know, we've had to let, you know, good people go over the years, which is never, a, you know, an easier, fun decision, but, uh, um, you know, one that, you know, sometimes, you know, as, as a leader of the company, you, you've got to make the hard calls. You know, we were always very, very fortunate. We surrounded ourselves with good people inside and outside of the of the company who had seen the the dark days before. And you know, one example was a uh, a, 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 a venture firm that we had worked with um, that was soliciting us to. They wanted to put money into our business, and and you know, it's a big decision for an entrepreneur who they take money from because they're essentially now the seat at your table. They're part of your family. And uh, one of the principles of the of the company was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about you know what's going to happen when the the times are good. Let's have a thoughtful discussion because there are things that we can't control. 
we can't control the global economy. We can't control. And it was just such a, 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 a thoughtful and, you know, Keith and I looked at each other and said, oh my God, oh, finally someone that knows that we can control what we control. You know, no one could have controlled the pandemic. You know, I could not imagine, I could imagine there were some people bounding out. I don't care about a virus. We're going to still hit the numbers this quarter and, you know, get them like, those are not partners that, 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 that you want to have around your table. We were always very fortunate that the people that we worked with would take a, uh, a whole bigger approach. So when we had dark times, you know, they weren't a surprise. They weren't, you know, we were prepared with people that had been there, done that, um, so that we could navigate them through that as best as possible. Oh, but we, you know, we, we one time did a project for a customer and flipped the data scale around and, you know, told them turn left when they should have turned right. And, you know, you think the world is over when those things happen. I, you know, you get that pit in your stomach and, you know, because you care, you can't sleep. Um, but again, you're all, you know, you're working for other humans who have done similar things in the past and, you know, you own it, you, you lean in and, you know, those dark times, you know, only stay dark if, if you allow it to allow it to happen. Best business decision you ever made was? Oh my goodness, that's a, a great, uh, a, a great uh, question. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it's a decision. I would say it's a series of decisions. Um, you know, one, taking risk. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy I did not take the, the path that, you know, that, that's the comfortable one, the easy one, you know, write a resume, put it out there, you know, try to get hired. Um, I think there's a, a, a certain people like myself that, you know, aren't wired that way, you know, so I'm, I'm happy I, I took the chances that I, I did, um, you know, the, you know, best business decision would be, uh, you know, bringing Keith and I as a partnership. Um, I, I couldn't have imagined and I, I, we will always be in business together. Um, you know, being connected with people like you, Andy, and the, and the folks that, that you bring to the table that would help. You know, so, you know, if, if, if you think you can do it alone, you can't. Uh, it does take a take a village. Um, so I think it was, you know, a combination of uh, all of that, that that turned into a lot of little good decisions that, that came about. Is there one that you regret? Uh, Hold the tape back. I mean, of course, there are decisions that you've made along the way where you could have done them better, um, you know. I, I'm one of those people that oh, I'm always learning, um, and you know my 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 finished product isn't isn't there yet. So you know I believe it's okay to to make a bad decision. I guess I would say the worst decisions that I've ever made are the ones that I hung on to too long. Um, if I'm thinking about that decision three weeks later, I'm doing a disservice to what I can be doing in in in, in the future. So make a bad decision, own it. Hey, that was a really dumb idea, or gee, that didn't get the outcome that I wanted, or gee, we should have been more careful and, and not put a client in that situation. Own it, fix it, do your best to, to make prevent it from happening again and move on. But we've all made decisions and we're six months later still thinking about it and re-bringing re that pain into the process. Um, those are my worst decisions, the ones that I can't get over. Um, and I should, um, but uh, you know, we, we work through it that way. Yeah, I'm guessing only 100% of the listeners are nodding going, yeah, those relationships I let linger too long, et cetera. 
you, you know, you, you mentioned the word resume. And yeah. let me ask you a question. I don't know, but I think I know the answer. Have you ever written a resume? No, not at all. It's going to be my book one day, How to Get Through Life Without Writing a Resume. Now, writing a resume would have been the easy way to do it. You know, uh, forming lots of one-on-one -on -one personal connections is much more, much more difficult. Um, but no, uh, yeah, I'm generally unemployable at this stage of life. Well, I, I'm smiling because my, I, you know, I give give people resume advice, and at one point, my daughters busted me, said, "Dad, did you ever write a resume?" And I go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." They said, "For what?" I said, "Well, for teaching philosophy." And they said, well, that didn't work. You didn't get any jobs. <laughs> I think it worked out just, uh, just fine. And there was one, one, one little story oh, I just, just want to share that our audience should know about. So Hugh was uh, the guy who came to me in 1992, 93 with this crazy idea that you could use the internet for market research. And our first business plan, Andy, I, I keep it uh, very, very close by. Oh, I, I love it. I, I remember paying for that binding machine. <laughs> um, but but the, the story that no one, uh, very few people know is, so this was going to be the paperless future of research. Everything would be analyzed uh, you know, with software, et cetera, et cetera. No more paper questionnaires. And I remember that fateful day, you and Paul had executed the very first online research project done on the planet Earth. I was all excited and I come in to see, you know, how did it go? It's paperless. And since every journey starts with something that didn't quite work, I look in the wall, I walk into the focus group facility and the walls were covered with paper printouts of the questionnaires. Can you talk a little bit about that memory? Sure, I remember that very well. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, we, you know, things do happen and technology doesn't always work the way it should on the on the first time. And, uh, you know, it just showed that, you know, Paul and I were not going to, you know, uh, miss delivering to our, our customer. And yeah, we printed a lot of paper that day and tabulated a lot of things by hand. Um, and I assure you, survey number two worked flawlessly because we didn't want to do that work again. That was the, uh, the, the key for what was going on. Uh, Wills, you had a question. Yeah, yeah. well, so Hugh, you've been in the market research world for most of your career. You've been part of its transformation. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time, you know, using qualitative market research tools on our end because we've seen them to be so effective. Mm -hmm. um, any predictions that you have? And maybe this is a good segue into talking just quickly about what you may be working on, but any predictions about where you see things going from here, uh, particularly in the context of your point about like, hey, if you think you're done, then you probably should be done and stop. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think the, you know, uh, the use of data to run businesses is at its infancy. Um, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the uh, you know, a startup doing research and getting data um, and understanding their market is, is sort of, a, you know, that's my cheat code, which is you don't have to be smart. You just have to know what the data says and trust it, even if it kind of differs for, for, for where you are. Um, and we're seeing that the, the users of, of the information are changing, right? You know, the, 
the market research department used to be in the basement, you know, run by statisticians who would never get invited up to the boardroom. Um, now it's being driven by the CEOs of companies who, who, who value good data and good information combined with uh, their wisdom and knowledge to, to make future decisions. And, you know, we always think of, you know, I always like this industry that we're in because we're in the data creation space. And the answer was known. People would have it and it would be out there. If the answer is unknown, you need data and uh, information to help formulate that that decision. So I think what we're going to see is, uh, is, is the increase for data going up, the ease of consuming it getting easier. Um, and the, you know, you think about all these algorithms out there that are driving AI and machine learning and all of that, you know, research data is just going to feed right into that as, a, as another variable. Um, you know, we won't even know what's happening, but uh, it, it's going to help, uh, help really drive some of the innovations we're seeing in other areas. Can, can I push on you for one second about data? Because we sometimes say, hey, listen, the world is drowning. Mm -hmm. data yeah what they really need is to turn that data into something sure. else yeah what if you had your wand out there you could wave that wand over these huge pools of data that are growing geometrically what do you turn that data into well i mean we would turn we would say let's turn it into like the three to five things that we need to know that are going to move the needle and not get hung up within the in the noise um you know so much time is wasted on 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 data and variables that 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 don't matter um and i'll give you an example um you know i i spent a lot of time now living on a a, a small island and they do a community data project and it's, and it's run by, you know, uh, the economy here is very tourism driven. And if you, you know, a data point in 2014, it was one service worker was able to service 10.9 uh, visitors. And today it's one service worker is servicing 22.3 visitors. So a simple data point like that can drive so much decision-making from housing, from employment, from wages and, and this, you know, you don't need a, a, a thousand uh, uh, data points um, to, to come in, pick the one that matter and, and find one that, that uses. So, you know, for any business that's using data to help drive the decision, um, simplify it down. Like, get one data point or two that you can use to, 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 to drive what you're looking for. You can't get it all. Otherwise you will, you'll get paralysis because everything goes uh, you know, all, all over the place. Pick the points that matter, measure them, keep getting that feedback, keep learning, uh, you know, create the data that doesn't exist and uh, trust that it works. Since, most of us believe there are a number more chapters in the Hugh Davis story. Are you able to talk at all about what the next chapter might involve, include, or be heading towards? And if not, no worries at all. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's going to include all the, all, you know, all the things that we, we talked about today that we love and what we're going to do. Um, you know, we, we love building businesses. We love inspiring others to help build businesses. We, we, we love, you know, continuing to, to, to learn and evolve and, you know, think about where all this stuff is, uh, is going. 
Um, you know, so as, as we, you know, think about what we're going to do next, you know, I mean, you know, our time is our most precious thing, right? You know, and I want to put my time against things that I'm passionate about that I like that we, we, we believe in. Um, you know, we generally have the belief that, you know, the world, you know, uh, is, you know, the demand for, for, for good information is going to exist 50 years from now. Um, you know, it's just going to change how people are consuming it and using it and, and, and who the, who the buyer of it will be. So again, as an entrepreneur, you might think I'm crazy and the idea may never go, but, you know, I wake up each day, you know, passionate about that and, and, and trying to find the, the, the niche of, uh, of where this is all going and have some fun along the way. Hugh, you have the benefit now of being, you know, a serial entrepreneur. And as we've seen in our industry, oftentimes it's it's a lot easier for serial entrepreneurs to get kind of the early funding they need to get going. Uh, that's juxtaposed with the thing that we always hear, past performance is not necessarily an indicator of, you know, future results. Are there things that you keep kind of center, you know, right front and center of your mind going into this next experience to ensure that you have the best chances of success regardless of you know whether or not you've done this before well there is i mean like you mentioned earlier there is a little bit of a formula you can follow and you know a first-time entrepreneur will, will either surround themselves themselves around people that can help them get there or will figure it out on their own over 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 time um, you know, going into, you know, going into it, you know, your second or, or, or third time, you kind of know what to expect and what's needed. So, you know, your first time out raising money is very daunting and, you know, a lot of scrambling to get information together. And now you know what the questions are going to be and what you need to do. You know, you don't, not every business plan has to show, you know, 200% growth every year out infinitum, you know, here's our first checkpoint, you know, six, 12, 18 months down the road. And here's the big opportunity that we're working towards. You know, that takes a little bit of a, of a discipline to put together. So as we think about it, you know, we're like, I don't want to say we're going to say, you know, been there, done that um, because the, the world is evolving, right? You know, I've, I've, I've never led a company yet in a post pandemic world. Um, you know, you know, where all staff is distributed and all the, the, the challenges are out there. So there is new learning and new things that need to be applied. But, you know, I definitely think there's a little bit of an advantage to having uh, having done it before and knowing the uh, the game hacks uh, to, to, to get you to where, where you need to be. Hugh, two final questions, because you've been generous with our, your time and we're running a little over and hopefully uh, the plane's not leaving without you. Um, looking back, <clears throat> imagine you have your 19 year old self sitting next to you as you're starting your journey as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. What, what advice based on what you know today, what advice do you give young Hugh Davis? Um, I guess my advice that I would give young Hugh Davis is that, um, wisdom is real. I don't think when I was uh, my 19 year old self that uh, I appreciated that other people had been there, done that, seen similar problems. I kind of was of the mindset, well, I, I'm the one that has to solve it. And, you know, it, it hasn't been, been done before. So I wish I picked that skill up a little bit earlier along the way, because there are so many people and especially the most successful people are the ones that are the most generous with their time because they, they have the confidence and they're, they're, they're not always, uh, you know, they don't look at you as a threat or a piece, but 
if you ask for help, people will give it. Um, if you, you know, so my younger self didn't ask for help enough and I don't think I had enough respect uh, for, for, for the wisdom of others. And my final, final question here, I promise, is <clears throat> you're a guy with, I'd say, immense passions and drive and focus and discipline, energy. Imagine for a minute that the next chapters of Hugh Davis's life are not going to be building businesses in the market research arena. Imagine if it's maybe not even building businesses in the, relating to technology and software. So what, if you have to write your next chapter and it's gonna be something completely different, mm -hmm. what does Hugh Davis write for his next chapter? Well, I mean, you know, we, you know we've all been given a gift of, of some success to, to be able to have freedom and, and choices in life. Um, you know, I do get a lot of satisfaction about helping others more than I was able to do in, in the past, um, you know, particularly with time to help. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, my, you know, my chapter, you know, will have a business component to it, but we'll also have a little bit more of a, of a, of a social give back, mentoring, uh, helping, uh, advising, uh, you know, a component that, you know, will, you know, you know, not, not for financial gain, but more for, you know, personal satisfaction. So, you know, I, you know, I'm helping a nonprofit right now organize all their business information so that they could be more effective. Um, you know, it's great to be able to have the time and, and talent to be able to help them. You know, anyone could write a check, but executing behind it is the, is the piece that I think is uh, very valuable. So I do get, a, I do have a, an eye towards stuff like that. Cool. Hugh, you've been awesome. Wills, any final, final questions? No, this has been great. You, that last point reminds me a lot of a person who I know very well, who, you know, 12 years ago decided to not write a check to Colgate, but start a program there that had huge impact. So um, I think you guys have together, like, created this legacy that will live on through people for decades to come. Well, like I said, it's all about surrounding yourself with good people and luck and fortune to, to meet people at the right stage of life. Thank you very much for listening. In this interview, we spoke with Hugh Davis, who helped found Greenfield Online and Critical Mix, a successful serial entrepreneur by any measure. In this interview, we spoke to Hugh about how the worst decisions might simply be the ones you hold on to for too long, own it and move on. Hugh pointed out that wisdom is real and that when he was 19, he didn't appreciate that other people had actually been there, done that, and he didn't need to solve everything himself. How even when you're two founders in a garage, you should always act like the company you want to become. And how being an endurance athlete, he was an Ironman, is great training for being successful and building companies and leading them for year after year, and much more. We are TIA Ventures, a seed stage fund that invests in early stage B2B software companies that have achieved visceral product market fit, that have teams that are ready for prime time and have customers who cannot live without the company's product. We invite you to join us for the next episode of It's the People.